You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Hello, everyone. My name is Bryant. Um, use he, they pronouns. Um, Johnny has had a very busy week, so I'm covering for him, and uh, we're going to talk about cows. But before we get there, we are going to start by reading, Megan, can you pull up the first slide with the Malachi scripture in it? So we're going to start uh, this evening with a practice that we've been doing um, for the last, um, I would say this season since Pentecost, um, we've been practicing a form of communal reading called Lectio Divina, which just means sacred word. You can use this at home um, in your own practice as well, but we've been doing it here um, as a way of kind of reading the text together and hopefully allowing um, the community to speak into its meaning um, as we uh, learn what we're trying to say. Let me see if it comes up. There we go. All right, so I'll go ahead and read it for the first time. And then um, the way it's going to work this evening is I'll read it the first time. And in the first reading, the way I was taught, we do three readings. Some people do four readings, um, um, but we're going to read through this text three times. I would say the first time, just let the scripture wash over you. Um, what sticks out to you? Kind of something that tugs at your heart. There's a kernel of something. The second, we'll, we'll read it. We'll sit in silence for about 30 seconds to a minute. The second time, I would say focus on that part that sticks out to you. See what God, um, what about that passage jumps out to you? How does it make you feel? What do you think God is saying to you in that passage? Then we'll read it a third time and we'll share with each other. Um, so we'll, I would love to hear what you, have, what you guys are feeling um, and what you guys are noticing in this passage. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll give you a little, we'll talk about Malachi and then we'll talk about cows. So I am going to uh, read through this and we'll sit in silence. And then um, if anyone would like to volunteer to read, just kind of give Johnny a gesture. Um, I would love to not just have me be reading all the time. Malachi 3.13 through 43, uh, or sorry, through 4, verse 3. Um, in the Jewish Bible, it is, verse 4, chapter 4 doesn't exist. It's all at the end of chapter 3. Fun tidbit. Anyhow, Malachi writes, You have spoken harsh words against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What do we profit by keeping his command or by going about as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now we count the arrogant happy. Evildoers not only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. Then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord took note and listened, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and who thought on his name. They shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act, and I will spare them as a parent spares their child who serve them. Then once more you shall see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. See that day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. For you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked 
for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What stuck out to y'all? This is a pretty intense passage, I'm not going to lie. Johnny, do you mind uh, being our host for this evening, handing the mic out? Do you have something you want to say, Kai? Did you want to, what, what stuck out to you, Kai? <clears throat> Here, Johnny's going to give you the mic if that's okay. So the people on Zoom can hear? Yeah, the second thing I noticed is that some of, some of the uh, words in here are also used in the previous songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, but the first thing I noticed, and this correlates to something I was thinking about, to a theory I was pondering about earlier, about, about how like um, good things feel natural mm. in, the, in the world, while as, while as evil things take a lot of effort to maintain. Mm. Mm-hmm. They always, they always need some sort of like excuse to exist. Hmm. But good is just good. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the imagery about the burning day, um, that kind of reassured my theory. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Thanks, Kai. That's really cool. I really appreciate that. So I got stuck on the ashes part. Mm. Um, because I just feel like it's so hard for the things that the wicked build to turn to ash. Mm. Um, I feel like the, the folks who suffer in the world are very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy for vulnerable people to lose everything they have in one fire mm. or something like that. But I feel like... Um, sort of similar to what Nakai was talking about, there's a lot of work that's involved in wickedness. So, you know, say something like the prison complex has all these networks and subdivisions and they're all interrelated. It's this giant network, right? And so you could have a single incident that sort of shuts down this one piece of it, this one section, but you still have this entire web that remains intact. Mm. And so, um, you know, obviously I want to buy into it and believe it, but it's just hard to imagine because of how, uh, I guess, difficult it's been to tear down old structures and, you know, uh, things that have been so destructive for so long. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the verse in the first paragraph rings true to what you're saying, Julius, and to me. 
Now count the arrogant, happy, evildoers not only prosper, when the, but, but when they put God to the test, they escape. Mm-hmm. That feels like what's common. Like people do bad things and then nothing happens to them. Like there's no consequence. And even when there's social consequences, we like say that's bad too. Like, it's, so it's, it's, it's hard. That's like frustrating. When, yeah, like the most evil people just like uh, get away with it. You know. Well, one more. Yeah, we'll have one more. So, just to continue what you were saying in the in the first paragraph there, it seems like the evildoers get away with it. They prosper in their evil doing, which is so beautiful. There at the end, you shall tread down the wicked. They shall be the ashes under the soles of your feet. Um, it's like, I think it's weird to think, to be happy about somebody else being ashes, mm, but yeah. somebody else being defeated, yet there's such, there is complete evil in the world that someday when the Lord will act, will be destroyed, that will come to an end, you will walk away from it. Hmm. The evil will not. Uh, no, it's already set up. You should just be able to, if, you, if he wants to, you can put him on screen. Yeah. Hey, Charles, I hear you have something you'd like to share. I think Megan's going to try and get you on the screen. And... Uh, Yes. How much more vulnerable people have to work to have faith when there is like so much new to the world in the world? It's really tempting for you know a lot of folks when they're seeing this to just say you know. You know what? Maybe we should just join up with the evildoers because they seem to be doing really good right now. And I'm here trying to kind of serve God, and here they are kind of doing all these evil things, and they seem to be able to sort of deal with the consequences of their actions to the point where nothing changes or nothing seemingly changes. So I think it's it's really hard. That's sort of what sticks out to me a lot because I think we're seeing now like with a lot of things going on, um, you know, in the political sphere, you know, in the, I was going to say, in the Twitterverse right now, it just seems like a lot of people are like just really just disheartened. And I think it speaks to really what well, people sort of have to do in order to kind of like keep faith in God, even when all, everything in this space seems like, you know, there's like no point in serving God because from what I'm seeing, it seems to be the people who are going against God's commands that seem to be doing well. And so I think it's good to sort of have that reassurance, but it's also just sort of work to kind of keep believing in that reassurance because everything else that's present seems to really be it really seems to be opposite that and it 
you know, when seeing that day after day, you get really disheartened. So that's kind of one of the things that I noticed is just how much work and faith in God has to be there in order, me, in order to continue to serve the Lord uh, in the face of so much evil. Yeah, thank you, Charles. Oh, it's always so great when I love doing this exercise because people, everyone brings um, their own wisdom and we get, well, I, oh, that was so rich. I, I, I could just leave right now. We don't, even, we don't even need to do this, but I prepared it. So let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say, um, actually, one thing that I'd like to point out is that the actual, so we use the lectionary here um, at Frankfurt Ave. Um, and we just do that because we're reading the scripture and uh, lots of Christians across traditions use the lectionary as a way of, um, it was crafted to kind of tell the story of the Bible um, over three years. And it also just, it, it puts us in co communication with other Christians that are doing this in meeting today, on days like today. But um, like I usually do, the lectionary reading is actually just usually this passage. See the day is coming, burning like an oven. Um, and, but I, I always have beef with the lectionary. I think it really takes it out of context. The book of Malachi, I'm not going to go really in depth into this, but like very briefly, it's like six dialogues or disputations. Um, so it usually starts with God says something to the people of Israel. The people of Israel respond, um, with a question like, how have we... How have we done this? It is it vain to keep these commands? And then God usually responds with a longer uh, sentence. So this is the sixth of these conversations between God and the people of Israel um, that, the, that the prophet Malachi records. And I think that's helpful to know just because we are, we have, the, that's the, like, this is the, this is the chunk it fits into. Um, and um, it's also because it's the ending of the book, we start to see, it's close to the ending. There's like two verses after this we start to see this arc towards um, justice, but also into joy and hope that I really love. So I, the part that stuck out to me um, is this last section with the burning in the oven and particularly the leaping about like calves. Um, uh, I grew up, as some of you might know, I kind of grew up um, farm adjacent. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my grandfather owned a farm. Most of my friends owned farms. So I grew up like around cows and so like, and calves. And so um, I always love to look out for those little, uh, Im the, that imagery that they often present in the text, especially as I've lived in the city um, for over a decade now. And just uh, the sense of uh, every year in late May, I just get a hankering for strawberries that was like ingrained in my psyche from a child because that's when they come into season and there's and I and I remember there's a sense of seasonal rhythm that I often um, and planting and harvesting and calves being born and all this um, kind of more pastoral life that I've and somewhat in some ways left behind and I've forgotten um, but it's also that I just don't have contact with um, so some of these images that the Bible uses of calves leaping from their pens um, I think we forget it at times, and we've kind of, we're not as connected to it. Um, so I wanted to share today an image of, an image of cows leaping about in their stalls. Um, so we're gonna, we got this video, and um, 
This video is the first day of spring when the cows are being let out and I love it. I watched this like six times and it always makes me laugh. So yeah, that was a new uh, YouTube obsession that I went down of watching cows play. Um, <laughs> great, highly recommend it. Right. Follow some farmers on TikTok. You can see all the little calves prancing about. Um, <laughs> exactly, Kai. Um, have any, so who here has uh, actually seen a cow up close? Been around cows? Oh, that's, all of y'all. It's great. So many. I watched one give birth once. Okay, well, I wasn't going to go there, but uh, I actually read a lot about that. We can move, we can throw it to, it's, it's a fascinating how um, cows just, they love their children as soon as they're born. Um, I guess that's maybe normal, but. Um, so it's this, I loved this sense of play that the cows have, but also I'm sure as many of you, like, uh, as many of you noticed, cows are really big. Um, so there is a sense of play, but there is also this sense of danger almost. I don't know about danger, but, um, cows can be kind of, uh, It, yeah, just cows can be a little clumsy. Cows can be, they're just so big that they're not really aware, which is relatable for me. Um, just some days, just like, oh, knocking things over. Um, but there is this sense of explosive joy, but also it has to be, I don't know about contained, but we have to be aware when we're around it. Um, the farmer is very aware where he is and where he is in relation to these cows when you're Interacting with cows you're o or horses or any big animals, you're always very careful to let them know where you are because you are dwarfed by them. Um, when calves are born, they're 65 to 90 pounds, which is a solid, that's a pretty hefty toddler. Um, and they're usually like two feet tall, but they're about this long. Um, but they grow very rapidly. Um, so I, we don't, I don't know exactly the age of some of the cows that were in that video, but a lot of times cows are weaned at about six to eight months. And by that point, they're usually about this tall and they weigh closer to six to 800 pounds. <laughs> so it's, yeah, they're big. Cows are really big. They're very kind. They're, they're, they're generally very kind. I shouldn't speak in uh, generalities, but um, a full-grown cow can be five feet tall at the withers, which is like the shoulder part of the cow, um, and weigh almost 1,700 pounds. And these are just Holsteins. There are bigger breeds of cow in the world. Um, one thing I found out when I was researching this is that actually all domesticated cattle come from, they estimate one herd about 80, of about 80 cattle that was roaming around Southeast Asia like 10,000 years ago. We'll actually get that in a second. Um, but that sense of joy and elation of being released, or not even released, of being um, experiencing the new spring for the first time and being let out into the pasture, um, I think is so relatable. And it always reminds me of like the first day of spring when you're like let out at, at school and you're like, the first, like all winter you're out there like, oh, it's so cold. And finally, you get to take your jacket off and you get to run around. 
Um, or for me, the first day, like I'm a carpenter, so the first day of spring when you, when you can like take your winter coat off and just, you're working in the sun and you just feel like a flower blooming. It's amazing. The best first, it's the best day of spring, best day of the year. Um, but there is this sense with cows and with the wildlife around us that it is like beautiful and joyful, but also uh, we have to be aware of where our place is with it. Um, and I, I, I really like that that's what Malachi chose as a comparison for God's justice. But also, there's a flip side of that where it's not just the danger or the apprehension. It's, um, it's the joy, but it's also the joy of this relationship that humans and cows have. So I was actually, um, when we talk about the domestication of cattle, which I find interesting, Humans and cows have been coexisting together for almost 10,000 years. This is what most uh, archaeologists estimate. Um, so there, I found this really great chart. I love a good chart, like we were talking about before the meeting. Um, humans domesticated dogs, estimated, oh, I can't read that, anywhere from 16 to 35,000 years ago. So dogs, have, we've been around dogs for a long time. Um, and then sheep were next. Um, and then goats were about the same time, right around this area about, of about 10,000 years ago, nine to 10,000 years ago, there's an explosion, um, and that's often called the agricultural revolution, um, this explosion of life for both humans and for cows. Um, so we figured out how to domesticate, which means to suitably change the behavior of animals so much so that they become dependent on us, but also it ends up changing their genetics in some ways. Like that's how a lot of, that's, this is a kind of a medical definition of domestication. So this is where you start seeing a divergence in gene lines between um, wild um, cows and, or free roaming cows and like domesticated cattle. What's that? Pugs don't exist in the wild. Pugs do not exist in the wild. That's that is how, correct. That's how you can tell. Yeah, and that's because we've been breeding dogs for 30,000 years. Um, dogs have been our friends and our compatriots, and cows have too. So we have this um, explosion uh, in the, the age of agriculture um, where this sense of like humans have domesticated cows, but cows have also domesticated humans. So we go from, this, from being um, hunter-gatherers, so we're, uh, uh, we're theoretically roaming, roaming around in either herds, or like herds of humans, like family units or packs, and we start to have these large animals that don't want to travel with us as much, so we settle down into one place and we start building cities. We being uh, humanity. Um, and we start to see that around 10,000 years ago. And then about like 15,000, or sorry, 1,500 years later, we start to see cats being domesticated for the first time. So it's really like we had cities and then cats started hanging out with us because the cats were like, well, that's where the food is. Um, so, but, the, but I love that, that sense of, we get this in, in um, Malachi as well, of cows are, um, cows, cows grow from their interaction with us. They can get bigger, they can get stronger. Um, their lives are safer when we take care of them. So this sense, like we are, the cows being 
set up in their pens or cooped up for the winter time. It is to protect them, but it is also like, it's hard being cooped up for winter. I think that's a universal animal experience. Like we are all just trying to make it through the winter. It's interesting to be talking about the first day of spring on this side of the winter as we're about to go into it. Um, but it protects them. It allows their lives to be better and longer and easier. Um, but the inverse is that our lives also um, can be better, longer, and easier when we are in this relationship with the, with the animals um, and with cows. And so that is, in, in this passage in Malachi, it can be interpreted in two ways, and you see this, these two versions in most translations where um, it says that cow, um, the calves are being released from their pens, jumping like calves released from their pens. So there's an emphasis on the play of the calves. But then some versions, like the King James, has an emphasis on the, fat, the fatted calves, where it's a sense of they're doing well, they're flourishing, they're, um, they're um, living their best life, kind of. Um, so we have this both and of like, it's both about the joy of play, and it's also that we are... Uh, we are growing in relation to one another because we have um, this hopefully mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and we will actually talk about that because cows have a big impact on the ecosystem. I'm sure many people here, they know or have heard about how bad cows can be for the environment um, because we genuinely have, do we don't do it very well. We don't interact like in uh, our contemporary agricultural environment, the way that we grow and harvest cattle is very mechanized and it also concentrates these animals, these big animals into small spaces in massive packs. And when it does so, um, it's not great for them. They're not living as full lives, but also um, it's not as great for the environment that they interact with. Um, a lot of times we will graze herds of cattle on um, grasslands and wool, but people have, uh, what was I trying to say? We'll be grazing these herds of cattle on grasslands and it will strip the, the grasslands dry. They'll trample down the, the um, banks of the rivers um, and just generally kind of ruin the ecosystem. And so for a lot of times people, there was a call that we should maybe just like give up on cows. And we definitely have too many cattle in the world. Um, in comparison to how many humans there are and the amount of space. Um, but there is this uh, ecosystem um, situation where like, we need these animals. Um, so a great example is the American bison, which is a type of cow, kind of. Um, but for our purposes, we'll say it's a type of cow. Um, so I was, uh, a lot of people that are researching how to revitalize prairie grasslands um, have come back around to the idea that we need these herds of bison or cattle um, roaming the grasslands because they have a vital part of our ecosystem, of the, pra the, the prairie ecosystem. Um, so before um, European settlers came to America, there were vast herds of buffalo or bison, American bison, roaming these gr the grasslands across um, the center of our country. Um, and we ended up with this kind of, um, they do all these, th they were not just roaming freely, they were probably cultivated by the indigenous people who lived here, um, loosely cultivated, 
um, in, a, in like a semi-domesticated um, relationship where they would keep certain, where the indigenous land caretakers would take care of certain aspects of the land in order to um, keep the bison healthy, but then they would also call the bison and to keep the numbers from growing too large. Um, they had this really delicate balance that we don't really have in our society now. Um, hmm? Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of debate among ecologists about whether or not it's just a bison thing or that it's a cow thing and we're just doing it all wrong. So a lot of the research that's been done with bison proves that bison are a central part of this ecosystem because you know, they are going around, they have their hooves punch and aerate the soil, They're kick, all that frolicking, it kicks up the dirt and it allows new wildlife to grow, it, it allows new flowers and new things to grow. When the bison aren't, when there um, is sufficient grazing land for these animals, what they'll do is they'll go through and they'll eat the grasses, but a lot of times they'll leave the bigger plants around. Um, so you'll get wildflowers growing, you'll get all this, you'll get an incredible range of natural diversity because of these bison but you will also see that they'll preserve the grassland and keep it from becoming a forest because they'll knock down any trees that get too big uh, a lot of times. They're big animals. Um, but there is this incredibly symbiotic relationship between the bison and the land. And some ecologists argue that it's not just a bison thing, it's like domestic, our domesticated cattle could do that too, but we would have to have a healthier relationship with them. Um, we would have to have less cattle and let them roam over greater spaces um, in order to achieve similar population numbers. Um, but all of that is to say, I love this image of when cows go leaping out from their stall in the spring because I think it carries us back to this understanding of justice and of what it means to be human and to prosper um, that can have a big impact on us. Um, when the Lord says to the people of Israel, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked. I think that it at first, it's interesting. I was expecting more people to be like, huh, that's a little scary. Because sometimes, I mean, maybe this is just my own anxiety. I read myself as the wicked in the passages. I worry about what it means to be, you know, I grew up very evangelical. I worry about what it means for God to love me. Um, and there's a sense in which like, oh, are we the wicked? I don't know. It's something I also process as I'm thinking about being a masculine presenting person or um, being a person who's white and who's inheriting this uh, heritage of, of white supremacist culture and also of like displacing indigenous peoples who took care of all these um, incredible bison. Um, so I, there's, I think there can be an anxiety there, but I also think that God is calling us beyond that anxiety into um, an understanding of flourishing and an understanding of um, hope. I think this passage is incredibly hopeful, even with its, at times, dark um, tones. So we've got cow facts. Cows are big. Humans and cows have existed in, together for 10,000 years, and cows have a big impact on the ecosystem as evidenced by that. So I think that we have three calls. I think that those, I hope that those cow facts can help us interpret the story in three ways. Um, first, I think sometimes we have to choose how to read a story. So 
when we're watching the cows play, we are engaging and we are participating in their joy. At least I am, I don't know, you can probably hear me giggling because I think it's so funny. It reminds me of my little kittens. We have two little kittens right now in my house and they're probably six, nine months old and they are uh, a lot. And I love watching them play, but I also, uh, some days I can't engage with their joy because they're destroying my couch. We are choosing how we read this story. The cows, the calves running out to play. We, um, we are called to identify with those calves and with their joy because God is calling us into that joy and God is co- not calling us to be terrified of being the ashes underfoot. God's calling when we have, um, we'll get to that. The face of justice is both beautiful and terrible is our second point. It's, uh, and this is like a, I, lo- I just love those old school words of beautiful and terrible because um, beautiful, like te- I think terrible is funny because it can mean like, oh, it's so bad, but it's also like it all inspiring. Um, and um, I think that a lot of times when we engage with justice, it can be both beautiful and terrible. When we are drawn up into the flow of justice, into the wind of the spirit, as we often say, God calls us into imagining things in a new way. He calls us to imagine relating in new ways. Um, But if we're trapped in the old ways, oftentimes we can't see that. And it can be, we can start to identify with those who are being trodden and left behind. But we are called to identify with the cows. And lastly, wait, we got one more video in a second. God's love and justice are for us and not against us. And I think this is really what Malachi is trying to get at. Um, Justice isn't in frees us. It frees us from our pens of winter. It frees us from the smallness of the ways that we think about humanity. And it frees us into something new. Um, we're called into a pasture. Uh, we're called into a greater equality with one another. We're called to greater joy and greater um, expectation of what God is doing next. Um, so I want to watch these calves playing again. This is a different set of calves. Um, these are two little baby calves that, they, that were rescued. And um, then we're going to close. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Let's watch these cows. Um, I've been run into by a calf before, and they're small, but they they have very hard heads. Uh, so that's all I remember with that. The music really hits. Yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely the music. It uh, helps make it hit home. Um, so I hope that today we can, we can watch these calves being frogging in the fields, being freed into their pens, um, and, or freed from their pens into a greater expanse, a greater um, understanding of what God has imagined for us and what we're doing next. Um, uh, I'm going to pray, and then um, you guys get a chance to respond as well. Dear Lord, as we enter into this winter time, this time of kind of closing and and getting cozy. Um, We look forward to the spring where you call us out 
into new openness. You call us into new play, into new joy. And um, we, we pray that you come with healing and you come with expansive love so that we might join in. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.